you see a thing and then when you come out of that show or that film, you can't see the world in any other way because it's shown you a new frame of reference. I feel like if it's disruptive, then I, I want to question why that's disruptive for that person who feels like it's disruptive. What are, what, what are we disrupting? Kia ora and welcome back to Disruptors, a podcast produced by Basement Theatre with support from Renews. I'm India Eswa and I'm your host for episode two. Disruptors is all about celebrating disruptive artists and arts practitioners in Tamaki Makoto and beyond. This episode, we're chatting to Alice Canton and Sarita Das. Hello, Alice and Sarita. How are you guys? Very well. Very good. <laughs> it feels very formal. It's very. It's, it's yeah, good. well, this is the formal part's over now. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> so first of all, I just wanted you each to describe um, how you introduce yourself at parties. How do you describe what you do? If I went to parties, I would say, hello, I'm Sarita Das. I'm a angry ranter. <laughs> um, I use they them pronouns and I'm pretty sure that I'm pronouncing my own name wrong so (laughs) (laughs) and just leave it there and just leave it there (laughs) and then space lingers afterwards um I usually say I'm a director and I work in the theater it's like the most base like level of that and then then if they think theater is like hospital then I'm like no performance and then we have a little like banter about the miscommunicating what I do. Um, but I usually always say director because I don't know, it's like stuck. Yeah. And what each made you want to become artists? There's a very interesting question. I guess I, I still really struggle to call myself an artist because of years worth of like not doing art and then like, But when I was a kid, I think I distinctly remember my parents saying when I was like six or something, they're like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was like, I want to be a starving artist in Paris. (laughs) 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 But like the starving part, like I knew a long time ago that I was going to be poor. Like that's just some some prophecy shit. (laughs) And already romanticized it. Already romanticized it. Um, But I think I just art is like I can't I can't I, I can't like shy away from it. And no matter how poor you get making art like you just it's you can't not do it so like I don't know I feel like the other things that I do like sex education is sort of art as well because you're still like creating a space for people to feel safe enough to be um in a space where they can then get better or like ask for more so yeah I think art is just like part of to be cheesy is like part of who you are so I don't know if like I would be able to not do it (laughs) there's a nice analogy between being in sex education and an artist like i i kind of like the what do you call like the Mm. parallels between those two practices and like yeah or therapy in general or therapeutic practice not to say that that is an artist's responsibility Mm. but that that this complementarity, <laughs> complementary, <laughs> yeah, in in those two practices. Cool. I uh, I kind of have always been an artist and not an artist, and I think for me, growing up, I feel very privileged that my parents were like, not they weren't like you can be anything you want, but um, where my sisters probably it was like be a doctor, lawyer, accountant type thing. 
I was allowed to be whatever I wanted to do. Um, yeah. And then I think from um, formality, understanding that if I wanted to go to, say, study fine arts, I had to do X amount of art subject, visual art subjects or whatever. So then you make a, a predetermined choice in when you're 16 to do that. And I think I did that because I knew I wanted to go to art school. But even then... I was like, but I also want to be a doctor and I still want to be like a lawyer and like all those other. I was real keen on politics and like getting into that, but you've still got time. I, I do. I was well, like, stopping you. <laughs> Maybe tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow politics. Yeah. And what do you set out to do with your work? Mm, That's a very good question. Um, I think things that have made me feel less alone and feel more connected to the giant existence that is being human when watching art and experiencing art to try and create that. And like, I know that's like a really big art, but like you can make angry art and you can make like stuff that is full of sadness and stuff. But if you make it in a way that like, brings people in and like reflects on the joy that is being human, even though the world is burning. <laughs> it's burning. It's burning. It's burning. It's not oh, funny, God. but I'm laughing. Yeah, that's how we cope, right? <laughs> what about you, Alice? Um, what, so it's like, what, what, what do you set out to do with your work? Um, I, I guess from a pure arts practice, I'm really interested in how concepts can be embodied and I like the way concepts can, whether they're like aesthetic concepts or uh, principles, can um, help us to, you know, sort of uh, help us to understand the world a little bit better. And I think, I think, yeah, so it's like I'm trying to do that. Like there are visual concepts in like visual arts for example that have made me feel like that is what my existence feels like in the world like being trapped between two binaries for example and then you see I don't know a Picasso and it's like a thing with like negative space and you're like oh my gosh that that, that piece of artwork is how I feel and for me uh, working in theatre and performance is taking that and embodying it and adding like the fourth dimension, so time, duration and spatial relationship. So, yeah, I think, oh gosh. So, yeah, I mean, I know that sounds like super dense and academic, but it genuinely comes from a place of wanting to shift people physically. Um, and I love it when I go to the theatre or even to like the cinema and I get shifted like physically because I'm so uh, moved by what I'm experiencing. Yeah. What do you think of the current arts industry in Aotearoa? I've only, I've observed art for a very small amount of time and by art I mean specifically theatre in Tamaki Makoro and like I feel like there's currently this big D diversity situation and like I'm definitely benefiting from that and I feel like do I like take the things that are offered and just say fuck you and then run away <laughs> and like take the money and run or do you like I do you question it I don't really I don't know what to do with it so like I feel like maybe it's like gender diverse or people of color or people who occupy both those spaces. Like there just seems to be suddenly like a lot of situations popping up 
for for us, for them. And like, it's quite confronting because like our whole lives we've sort of been told that we can't be part of the conversation. So like, yeah, I don't know how I feel about like you. Do you feel like it's like responsibility because that opportunity is there and there's like mm. a being grateful? I don't know. Like, yeah. yeah. Because it's like I totally know that thing of like now there are opportunities and if I don't take them, will the opportunities mm. disappear? Totally. Will they vanish for those people behind me? Totally. Or, yeah. Absolutely. Like I was very, very, very privileged to be given the artist in residence thing with Basement Theatre and I like I feel like if I didn't push myself to be able to do it fast or in Pride season – and like it's fine, you can do it. You like you can totally do it. You have so much support. But like you know, there's like there is that pressure to like then suddenly make the thing. Um, so it's like, oh yeah, I have this opportunity and I have something I really want to say. But like, am I just doing it now because there is like the ability and like I don't want to be ungrateful, but I also want to analyze that and be like, be reflecting of like what has happened to allow me to get there. And not to just like ride this little wave and then be like, see ya. I'm like, see ya to where? See ya to where? There you go. <laughs> Back into hospo. Yeah. <laughs> I feel, because I've worked in like, I feel very privileged because I've worked in professional theatre for so long. Like I, I got my first gig when I was still at high school and that was working in a really... Anglo sort of style old theatre model which still exists now which is your kind of rep model where you know a theatre company that gets investment funding from the government puts on a program of of work Um, and I think I thought that's what theatre was it's a really Anglo centric it's very western so I think New Zealand has always had that tradition obviously not ignoring indigenous performance practice that has existed since the dawn of time and I think in New Zealand we're in a unique position where we have that and Pacific um, performance uh, practice as well so I want to say New Zealand has a very unique theatre and performance um, culture, but I don't necessarily think that's what's being upheld. I often travel because I feel like sometimes contemporary performance practice is quite dated, and when I have friends or colleagues that come from overseas, it always, like, irks me, but when they're like, oh, it's quite, like, maybe even this is, like, 10 years ago, then being like, it's quite... 90s you know and you're like ouch (laughs) okay but I think what they're picking up on is you know like uh the notion of a playwright the notion of a play a fourth with you know a full uh what do you call it like uh dramatic realism or blah 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 um so yeah I I guess but then now there's this like rise in like postmodern deconstructed um performance work which isn't even theatre and it's not measuring its success against theatre but against like social impact blah 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 blah. so then I also think there's like this rapid development that's happened and it's happened like in the last five years Mm. um so we are very isolated here like physically and also just like artistically maybe yes 
Totally. And I think there's a benefit in that. Um, and that's not unique to our industry. Mm. Like we hear this about like startup culture and, and other types of um, industries where New Zealand is an island. So it is both leading and innovative, mm. innovative, but then also like True. real behind. I forget about the leading. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah to- well, absolutely. And <laughs> I, I, I guess so. Yeah. Like, and I kind of like that tension between those two things. It's like seeing someone put on a work for the first time and, and, basically represent all the tropes that um, is a bit of a cliche but then also forming something quite new because they just don't realize that's that's what you don't or do do and do you consciously think about disruption when you're creating your work um I think that's like fairly obvious I'm quite like I feel like most of the stuff that I've done either pisses people off or like people are really into it there's like no middle ground so like I'm really into that, so that's that's fine with me. I feel like if it's if it's disruptive, then I'm, I I want to question why that's disruptive for that person who feels like it's disruptive. What are what, what are we disrupting? <laughs> yeah. So you mean you're not necessarily consciously trying to create it, but that is the effect that you observe. Yeah. I, I think that's what happens when like minority groups speak in general. Like it is disruptive because it. Like, I'm Pakia as well. So, like, it's weird for me to, like, always refer to myself as a person of color because I'm, like, I also have the privilege of being half white. So, like, but, like, being part of, like, people will never see me as a white person. So, in that effect, yes, sure, I'm a person of color. We're just getting into the show now. <laughs> but, like... Ooh, juicy. <laughs> um, so, like, yes, I guess it will always be disruptive as long as the world looks the way that it looks. So, yeah, if that makes sense. And I, I think also the notion of disruption is like, what if we're seeing the world through a frame and that frame just like tilts slightly mm. or even like it tilts and goes back. So for a moment you experience a, a sight line outside of that. Mm. That for me is disruption. Mm. Even if it's like a tiny thread that's like you pull at that thread and it reveals something before it's like stitched up or whatever. So like I like, I kind of like... Mm. I like that tilt. I can see that in my mind. Mm. The slight tilt and then you put it back. Yeah. Because it's quite pr- – I, I mean, I've definitely been in, in – and everyone has, right? You you see a thing and then when you come out of that show or mm. that film, you can't see the world in any other way mm. because it's shown you a new uh, frame of reference and it's like, oh, now it's spoiled the world a little as well, you know. Or, you know, and it, people watch documentaries and then they stop eating meat or, you know, like that kind of stuff happens mm. all the time. Um, yeah, I mean, that's like the ultimate, right? Mm. Or you're like, wow, intersectional politics or identity politics is a real thing or, mm. or whatever. But that I, I think that is a positive thing. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, it's really interesting when a word does kind of start getting used a lot to kind of keep, it's like, does it still mean what we're saying it means? Yeah. Like diversity. You can keep going. (laughs) (laughs) What did you call it for? The big D word. (laughs) The big D word. (laughs) Um, I'm just thinking about what you guys were doing right before you came here with this next question, but how does the process of decolonization inform your artistic practice? I'm wearing a yellow t-shirt that says decolonize in a font that I think is supreme. Is that what it was? I don't know. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's postmodern. I'm not sure. Postmodern. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what was the question? Um, how does... What? <laughs> so the question is, how does the process of... Or d- the question is, does the process of decolonization oh, yeah. inform your artistic practice? 
I, I'm like struggling with that term too. I think it's been co-opted by the, the capitalism, like as another way of uh, quantifying a, a, a way. I I struggle with it not because I reject it. I think decolonization is awesome, and we should all practice that. I feel like it's lost its meaning for me a little bit because I go, when I decolonize, where do I go next? And I also feel like maybe we've been decolonizing since that kind of renaissance in Te Ranga, Te Tanga in the 80s, so that we should be recolonizing now. Or something like, mm. what is the phase that we're in at the moment? Mm. I don't have a clear answer. I think like some of the inherited structures that we have, which I think are as much capitalist structures as they are, like, I put on a show, I sell tickets, the tickets cost this much, it's in the theatre, the duration of the piece is this long. You know, I am the director, which means I have a singular hierarchical structure in which I create theatre. Like, it's like once you start really going, but what if I rejected that? Everything gets really flabby and Mm. um, loose, which is awesome, but then I've got to put on a show in eight weeks' time. Mm. So I think sometimes I don't let myself um, spin out too much because then I just I don't um, thing I lose sense of time and place. <laughs> you need some structure. I need some colonization all, in my life. <laughs> not all structure is from white people. This is um, this is true. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> and like for example, even white mess, which is the my collective entity for my work. It's not a theatre company. I don't want it to be a triangular structure where I'm the director and therefore I have people under me. Like, what if it's a lateral decision-making process? What if I'm removed? Does that work still exist? Like, all that kind of stuff. But that was, like, a choice for me to try and and create something that wasn't, yeah, like, a theatre ensemble. Mm. Um, Yeah. That's really cool, like, what you're saying about not just decolonizing. Because when you say decolonizing your work, I immediately think about how I decolonize my body, but I always forget how to decolonize what I do because I grew up very like Pakeha um, and westernized. And so it's really difficult for me to, as you say, decolonize the structures and like your process and how you work. That even is influenced, you know? Totally, and, like, because what is colonial, like, to really dig down, like, what is colonial, what is inherited, what forms um, a kind of a, 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 yeah, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, like, the the process that we are existing in and then what would not be that process if it could be something else? And I guess indigeneity and being connected to whenua is a part mm, of that. Such but, a huge yeah, part. Yeah, totally. But then because I'm not mana whenua, what does it mean to be connected to this land and this place? Because I don't want to claim something, especially above and beyond people who have yet to... Mm, um, do it for re- themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about your own whenua if you have a feeling of that? I mean, I... Do. Yeah, I guess yeah, because like, what is what is my whenua yeah. is always like the the thing, right? Especially as Toiwi or because yeah. I'm half Pakeha yeah. as well, so like I feel like I have a connection to my ancestral roots mm. through like Wales mm. and um, Sarawak in Malaysia, um, and then you know. Uh, yeah, but it's like, do we have, yeah. Ah. Am I just, and is it, and actually, is it okay to be migrant, to be Toiwi, and to not have a fundamental claim to being here mm. and be okay with that? Even if you're seven generations deep, you're still 
practicing on land that was stolen. And as long as that is unresolved, you you it's will, still what it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But mm. I don't. Do you feel like that sense of where is your whenua? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I was born here in Green Lane National Women's Hospital. <laughs> Very specific. But my but like I grew up in 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 Bangladesh till I was eight and then India and then Thailand and then here and then I went to Australia and then I came back. And so like it's Wow. It's a lot of that's a lot of Fenoas. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it's also like I I want to feel more connected to being Bengali but like even that feels like a form of tokenism because I'm not really proper Bengali whatever that means mm. and like the land there doesn't want me you know the land there feels really alien to me it's really dry and then it's really wet and then it's really dry again then it's really wet again and it's just always really hot but like I don't know if that is for me either so like fun times not existing in spaces mm. <laughs> same thing with gender but then that's nice because then you're like well how about we just create spaces for people then who don't exist in other spaces yes and what new space might arise out of the building of something new totally. and not for the sake of um innovation or um, but to novelty give a home. Yes, yeah. yes so what are your hopes for the future of the arts industry in Aotearoa and I guess not just the industry but um yeah the spaces that you're talking about and like that sense of yeah what are your hopes for its future mm. I guess who gets to create work and mm. the kind of work you want to see and and I guess it's kind of hard for you if you're not if you're not 100% sure if that's like a space you want to keep totally but I can definitely see some glaring holes. Okay. Like people of colour need to be leading more. Mm. They need to be in positions of power more, not just more, like majority, because right now the system that we have isn't working. So like I just know of stuff and people who've lost jobs and it's just like, oh, like you want diversity, but you don't when it comes down to it. Like you, when you, when, when there's like people in front of you who are really good at what they do, like, I don't know. I just have feelings around, yeah, again, with the diversity thing, when people get, like, told that they're wanted because, you know, we need to be, you know, inclus inclusive of all people. But are you willing to go past that? Are you willing to go past including and giving a seat at the table and just forfeiting your right to power at all? Just, like, completely letting go of power and just being, like, None of this power is for me. Let's give it all to somebody else and let's see what changes in the world. Um, so I think art, that's, a, that's an answer for everything, but for art specifically, it'd be really interesting to see the current structures let go of all of their power and it won't happen because people don't like to do that. But that would be cool. That would be my, my, my dream. <laughs> Very broad yeah I reckon I think New Zealand because we're really limited it's in their size there's this like legacy position that happens for leadership roles in our sector where you have people who have a role for say 15 years and everyone's like really proud of the fact that there's an artistic director of a company for 15 years like that's something we should celebrate and I'm like yeah, well you know right now there's this like 
there's a generation that take up those senior management um, ELT roles mm. and as a result there's a generation directly under them that have no senior leadership experience because they've constantly been having to fill the gap like two rungs down and it's like we're going to get to a crisis point where the top guys are going to die I hope mm, eventually because they're not going to retire yeah. or they're going to retire and continue to work beyond that because they have to because they have mortgages or whatever the fuck mm. um, but then there's going to be a crisis because then who's going to fill there's going to be a, there's a skills gap there's yeah. got to be you know like yeah. capability building for those and that and then of course you've got the generation below that too so I would love to see that shift as well and I think I would love to see yeah like it, um, it needs to change now and I know that's what people always say but I can like name and shame and I won't a number of um, people in, in CE, CFO roles, business development roles which is like the behind the scenes <laughs> stuff as well as artistic directors and directors who have been doing that job for 20 years. Like, Doesn't that get stagnant? Yeah, like I've moved the fuck over. If like, I do a job for a year I feel stagnant. Exactly, right? I was talking to someone today who was like I've been in this um, in my job for like two and a half come to three years and I was like wow that's a long, long time, time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh. so uh, yeah I just I, and that's not just in Auckland that's nationally it needs to shift because otherwise we're going to actually be in a crisis of a, there's going to be in the brain drain which is already happening mm. people are leaving the country and they're not coming back mm. <laughs> most of the work that I have made and would like to continue making is about forcing people to question their reality. Whatever your reality is, if you don't already question it, go ahead and like question the shit out of it because your reality is not the only reality. And so like, imagine if you were someone else, imagine, oof, imagine that you weren't the gender that you are. Like imagine you weren't the race that you are like, Oh, like that's not even possible for some people to put themselves there. You've been listening to Disruptors, a podcast produced by Basement Theatre with support from ReNews. Never miss an episode by subscribing via all your favourite podcast platforms. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram and by visiting basementtheatre.co.nz or renews.co.nz. A massive thanks to Alice Canton and Sarita Das for being a part of Disruptors. Also our host India Eswar, producer Tim Blake, collaborator Kate Orgis, editor Tim Bat, and theme music composer Joel Moholland. Do make sure you check out episode three of Disruptors, a conversation between Faf Swag's Alicia Wilson-Hetty and independent producer Alice Kirker.